This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. The majority of jobs in North America are hired based on a feel on, I trust this person, I like this person, there's something about this person that's different. So if you paint a picture of here's the results that I produce, the only thing that should be left at the end of the interview is, do I like you or not? Rather than, can you do the job or not? Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. Thanks for joining another episode designed to help you to better lead at the top of your game. You know, we all have times in our careers when we're passionate about landing our dream job. And while I wish there was a level playing field for all of those who have the qualifications, to be honest, in reality, it's not. There are tricks to know about getting your resume past the applicant tracking system screenings, There's also tricks to know how to bump up your candidacy to the top of the recruiter's pile. And I must say, there are also tricks to increase the probability of you wowing the final decision maker. Now, if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, please don't, because help is on the way. Today's guest is Yosef Setter. He's a corporate culturist and resume whisperer. He has personally helped over 11,000 professionals find a job that they love and he has a 90% success rate. This episode is chock full of tips, so get the notepad out on your phone or laptop because you're going to be taking a ton of notes. And particularly listen to his five cardinal sins of a resume. I must admit, I was guilty of a sin or two myself. But that's me, but there's a ton of more hope for you. Now be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Tape where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. I am super pleased to have a fantastic guest for you for this episode. And it's quite timely because as of this particular date, Uh, There's a lot going on in the business world regarding layoffs, uh, transitions, mergers and acquisitions, you name it. So there are a lot of you all that are employed that are currently in flux. And because of that, our guest today will hopefully give us a couple of insights on how to think about uh, our job searches or our best next steps in the workforce. So I'm pleased to introduce Joseph Stetter. You can find him at josephstetter.com, but he is a renowned corporate culturist and what I love, the second title, a resume whisperer. So welcome, Joseph, to the episode. Thank you very much for having me, Caroline. It's a pleasure. Awesome. 
So I, as I mentioned, I'm super excited about a few tips and stories that you're going to share about what you're currently seeing and trends and past experiences. But before we dive deep into that, as much as you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing just a tad about your personal life? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll start with how I kind of became on this path or start on this path. So uh, starting with coming from, you know, parents that like get an education, get a good job. I didn't really know what I want to do when I grew up. So I switched careers nine times and jobs about 18 times. Uh, and not only did I switch careers, but I switched industries in between. Along the lines, I kind of realized, you know, I either got bored very fast when I became like the top salesman in a company or achieved certain plateaus. I was like, what's next? So I either personally chose to get fired or quit because I was like, okay, I'm not challenged anymore. And that kind of led me into the path where I was working in private colleges and I noticed that the career service there were just awful. That's the only word I can use. And the reason being is it's a job for somebody that just kind of was given a basic manual regurgitate, let's say, elements of what color is your parachute, but not really having any under idea or insight. And as part of trying to secure my job, I kind of created a manual on how to do this. And I've also kind of created a manual for an American company called Allen Associates. I helped rewrite their career service manual that they've been using for 40 years. My VP was very intimidated that I could think for myself and kind of threw me under the bus. And so I went and published the book. And I've also been in recruiting for nearly 20 years. I've recruited for companies like Deloitte and Touche, Apotex Pharmaceutical, Tata Consulting Services. And along the lines of my own self-development and growth, uh, I kind of, let's say, I did the walk of fire with Tony Robbins. And when I was doing some of the exercises, I was like, how come nobody is teaching this for job finding? Like there's such important lessons here, but no one's doing that. So I've had the honor and the pleasure of helping over 11,000 people land their dream job now in as little as two days. And a lot of it is because I focus on the mistakes that people make versus, you know, what everybody already knows kind of thing. Right. Right. So that was my path. Oh my gosh. That's an amazing path. And I know it, it varies to by the individual, but what are some of the more common trends and mistakes that you see uh, job seekers making? So off the bat, the biggest and worst mistake that anyone can make is spending most of their time on Indeed. Uh, one job posting on Indeed gets between 350 and 5,000 applicants. Most companies look at the first 100. So if you're 101 and you don't know the simple tricks to get noticed, you're get lost in shuffle. Uh, so one of the simple tricks is most jobs in North America will say, don't call us, we'll call you, right? Call HR and say, listen, my battery on my laptop just died. Can you check that my application went through? Or my internet's been wonky all day, or I never got a confirmation. Can you check that my application went through? The moment that HR checks if the application went through, you're number one on the list right now. Because you got extra eyeballs. Now I gotta say though, Joseph, as a as a previous HR executive, it'd be tough to get to me, and I would be a little bit aggravated. But you're right; maybe for the recruiters, it wouldn't be so bad. But if you have HR recruiters, for example, they might not need to get a hold of you. They need to get a hold of the recruiting team, for example, right? And so the recruiting team, their job is to check that the application went through, for example, right? Similarly. If you posted your resume, let's say in October, because you're looking for a job and you haven't touched it, you're on page 7,000 of the database. 
nobody will see your resume. So one of the things to be aware of is that most of the big job boards refresh their database between 11.45 p.m. and 2.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So going to your resume, press spacebar and save anywhere in your resume. The moment that you press spacebar and save, you've made a change to your resume. So now the database will capture you as a new resume on the refresh so you have a better chance of being seen by the recruiters the next day when their email comes in of newer resumes, for example. So little tricks like that make a huge difference. On the resume itself, I will call it the five cardinal sins of a resume that I notice most of people in North America do. Number one, they use Times New Roman, Arial, or Calibri as a font, because those are the default fonts in Microsoft Office. And so what happens is you get lost in the shuffle because you look exactly the same. Number two, you use uh, you know, the black dots, uh, hyphens, or uh, kind of squares as your bullet points. So again, you look the same. If you remember the movie Legally Blonde, uh, when Elle Woods or Ruth Witherspoon applies to Harvard University and for the internship, she sends a pink scented resume. And everyone looks and goes, it's pink and it's scented. But they remember it. It stands out. So don't be afraid to add a little of personality, like a, a little bit of color or a different font, just so that because, again, when you have hundreds of resumes and if you're flipping through, reality is that most HR professionals spend between 8 and 30 seconds reading a resume. So if something in the top third to the top half catches your attention, they're going to put you in the S-spot without reading the resume. The third mistake is that people waste too much time and space on their resume writing that they're hardworking, dedicated, committed team player with excellent communication skills and interpersonal skills. In 20 years of recruiting, I've met very few people that say, listen, I'm lazy, I'll show up late. None of my work will be any good and I really hate people, please hire me. Not unless you're related to somebody in the company or having an affair with them that you can kind of get away with that. Right, right. <laughs> and here's the thing, hardworking is very subjective. So your definition of hardworking and my definition of hardworking could be very, very different, right? So if I compare, let's say, an accountant that works in public accounting during tax season, they have to work 80 hours a week. So what's hardworking, 100? Versus a nurse that worked at the height of the pandemic that had to do four hours of overtime because the other nurse didn't arrive. Does that mean that the nurse is less hardworking than the accountant because she's working less hours? No, because there's a different level of stress. So stop filling your resume with these fluffy words. The fourth mistake, uh, and this you're seeing, especially after the pandemic where 65 million people lost their job in North America, is a chronological or a functional resume. So if you took a part-time job, let's say at McDonald's, but you're trained as an engineer, the only thing that the employer sees is McDonald's. So they eliminate you because you're not in engineering, for example. And then the biggest mistake of all, and this is the one that pretty much everyone does, is that people list their duties and responsibilities. I know how to do this. I know how to do this. So I love to give these two examples as a comparison and a reality check. Someone is applying to be a receptionist and they say, I know how to answer the phone. I hope the employer looks at them in shock and goes, really? <laughs> a receptionist that knows how to answer the phone. We did not know that. Because unless they live in an igloo, a cave, or choose to practice the religion of Mennonite, most people on earth know how to press the green button and go, hello, how can I help you? However, if you worked as a receptionist and you know how to answer, let's say, 60 calls a day with 12 different lines, I can measure 60 calls a day with 12 different lines. I cannot measure, I know how to answer the phone. So if I use an example from my own career, I can tell you, Karan, I'm 
an excellent salesperson. I know how to do B2B, B2C, account management, relationship building, lead generation. I've worked in retail. I've done door-to-door sale. I've done car sales. I've worked in private education. I've worked in recruiting. I know how to do sales. I've given you a lot of jargon, but I haven't proven to you that I know how to sell. If I give you a real example and say, I work for a private college that before I came in, generate $530,000 in sales for the entire year. In one month, I generate $860,000 in sales for them. Which one would convince you that I know how to sell? The first one with lots of jargon or the second one that gave you the results? The results, the proof. Right. The proof is in the pudding. And this is, I think, the biggest gap that most job seekers are experiencing is because they kind of go, I know how to do all this stuff, but they don't quantify it. They don't justify the numbers. No, no company today is hiring you because they have an empty seat over here and it looks weird that there's an empty seat. They're hiring you because you're going to help their bottom line either make money, save money, or increase efficiency. Because you're taking money out of their bank account, right? <laughs> For right. a certain employment contract with you providing a list of job duties and services that you're providing. And if you're not doing that and making an impact on the bottom line, then they're going to want you to look for other pastures, right? <laughs> right. And that's where it's like, look, it's one thing to say, I know how to do this, or I know how to do this. But if you don't quantify what you've done, how do you know that you've done it? Just because you've used the right words and you smiled, like most, unless you know you're like a brain surgeon where nobody really cares about your personality, they only care about your technical skills as a surgeon. The majority of jobs in North America are hired based on a feel on, I trust this person, I like this person, there's something about this person that's different. So if you paint a picture of here's the results that I produce, the only thing that should be left at the end of the interview is, do I like you or not? Rather than, can you do the job or not? Because if you say to me, well, can you do reporting? And go, yes, yes, I've done reports. That doesn't tell you whether or not I can handle the reports that you need me to do, for example. And even if I've said the right lingo, it's not necessarily proof either. That's true. That's true. And you know, when I talk to clients, I always encourage them, and I don't know if you do as well, that it's not even enough just to show results. You should also take it to the next level and show what I call the magic phrase as evidenced by, meaning not only did I show results, but I have differentiated my results that I brought to the table um, as evidenced by X, Y, and Z happening, which was more than what my peers were doing. You know, do you encourage that as well? Yeah, you always have to tie that in because at the end of the day, even yourself as a HR professional, if you're going to implement policies, it's one thing to implement policy for a company that's, let's say, 10 people versus implementing policy for a company that's a thousand people, for example, because there's different layers of the policy that would go in. There's different levels of expertise and knowledge that goes into it. So as evidenced by is definitely there. Um, So in the example I gave in the sales, if someone's interviewing me for sales, their first question would be, how did you get such a result? Because that's quite a big difference. And when I can explain why I got that result, everything else should kind of fall into place that I definitely know what I'm doing, right? Um, Again, you have experiences where people kind of don't think about it in that level. And so if I may share a quick kind of story about that. So um, I'm an avid salsa dancer. That's my outlet to relax. 
kind of thing. And when I first started dancing, I had a dance partner that was just starting college and there was an internship for a telecom company to work for free as a graphic designer. And she calls me up and she's like, I really, really, really want this. I'm like, you really, really want it? She's like, yeah, I'll do anything. I'm like, okay, I'm like your Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. Don't ask any questions. You follow exactly what I tell you. I said, your job title is graphic designer. You're not allowed to have a black and white resume because the word graphic and design are in your job title. So we made her resume green. Instead of having the typical black dots, she had a little like dancing character that was her signature for her digital art. So we put that as her bullets. She was a barista at a coffee shop. And I wrote that her being a barista is technically graphic design because she was drawing images on the lattes for people, for example. So she sends the resume in. Two weeks go by. She calls me. She's like, didn't even call me. You suck. Oh, man. An hour later. An hour later, they called her. (laughs) Egg on her face. (laughs) You're like, listen, we're so sorry we didn't call you. We received 7,400 applications for 20 unpaid internships. Your resume was one of our favorites. And because we received so many applicants, we're going to do the first interview in two days. And it's going to be a three interview process. So she calls me back. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They called. They called. They called. What do I do? I'm like, first, apologize. Right? Yes, absolutely. I said to her, like, first thing I want you to do is go to Kinko's, Staples, Granitoy, whatever beside your house, print your best digital work on the highest quality glossy paper, even if it costs you $40, just so that you have it ready. Organize all of your work in, back then there was a software called Flickr, which was very popular for graphic designers and things like that. Um, And then I taught her my seven rules that kind of wow an interview and guarantee results. Two days later, she showed up for her first interview. 15 minutes into her first interview, the director looks at her and goes, I've been running this program for 10 years. I have never been so impressed with a candidate as I am with you. I'm not even bothering with the second and third interview. Congratulations, you're my first hire. And she got hired in two days, basically once they told her that they want to bring her in for an interview. Oh, that's amazing, Joseph. Thank you. Wow. So the program works, and that's um, and that's what your firm teaches, correct? You have a whole system around that. But before I ask you about the system and let you tell a little bit more about that, because I want people to go check it out, how do people beat the bots? Because usually, you know, most companies now would scan in resumes into a technology system, right? And that's their first screening. So how do you beat the bot? So insider information. So the bot or the applicant tracking system scores your resume in three ways. Number one, when was the last time it was updated, right? So as I mentioned earlier, like Indeed, go in, press spacebar anywhere. Number two, it measures keywords. Now, here's the mistake that most people make. They write, manage, directed, liaise, coordinate, which are the action words that we've been taught that we need. But they don't write the technical words associated with the job. So if you're an accountant, I need to see the words accountant, accounting, financial statements, balancing, general ledger, reconciliation. Those are the words that are being scored on the applicant tracking system, not managed directly as uh, there unless you're kind of applying for a leadership job. Okay. Now, not only do those applicant tracking systems score how often these words come into your resume, but they also score where they appear on your resume. 
So if these words are on page two of your resume, you're not a match for the job. So the way that I beat that is I create kind of an area of expertise, which is all of the technical words that go with your job right at the top of your resume. Like name and address, I don't really believe in an objective statement because I don't think anybody reads them anymore. And then areas of expertise, which are all the technical words. So all of a sudden, there's 30, 40 words right at the top of the resume. And then those words are repeated throughout the bullet points that I give of what I've done on the job. So now the system finds it quickly. And throughout the resume, you're scoring in the 95 to 100% matching the job description. You know, people that try to customize their resume by going, oh, they said I should be dynamic. Let me add the word dynamic to my resume. No, the applicant tracking system does not care about that stuff. And chances are HR is not going to notice that stuff because it's buried in the minutia of I'm a hardworking, dedicated, committed team player. And, you know, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. But they kind of focused on I man, I coordinated this or I but that's not the technical word on the job. Like, you know, and this is where as a professional, like, let's say I'm going to use another industry like estimator, right? In construction, some people, even on their LinkedIn profile, right? I'm an estimator. Okay. Are you a general contracting estimator? Are you a roofing estimator? Are you a a drywall estimator? Are you, you know, there's a different, like, it's the same math, but some companies want to know that you have specific experience, let's say, in drywall, not there. Or if you've done general contracting, are you bidding on, you know, $100,000 projects or are you building on $10 million projects? $50, (laughs) right. (laughs) Big difference. If you don't say that on your resume and you don't say that on your LinkedIn, what happens is myself as a recruiter, let's say, slash corporate culturist, if I look at your profile, I go, it's too generic. I don't have time to figure out whether or not you are a good candidate. So I'm going to pass you and you might be the best candidate for the job. But unless I recognize the names of the companies that you've worked for, you're kind of lost in translation. Yeah. And that's the worst place to be. <laughs> right. And that's why I also said, like, as a, if you're an HR director or manager, I'm not calling you when I'm calling HR. I'm calling the entry level, like the HR coordinator, the HR recruiter, depending on the structure of the company. And I'm like, can you please check this? So it's their job to check this and I'm not bothering them. Now, once I'm there, I have two minutes to give you my elevator pitch that says, here's one or two things you need to know about me right away so that you consider me for this role, right? And also, uh, I call it the the Jewish chutzpah, uh, where... um, you kind of say, okay, well, Karan, I know that you mentioned, okay, you got there, there. When are you starting to interview for this role? So if you say to me, I'm interviewing, let's say in a week, to go, if I don't hear from you in a week and a half, do I have permission to call you back to get feedback on my resume so that I have a better chance next time? Because I love your expertise. Not check in, get feedback. Right. So here's the thing, as an HR expert, when I ask for feedback, I'm not saying giving me the job, but in case in the first round, I didn't meet the criteria, when I follow up with you, because you're giving me feedback, I might be able to convince you that I would be good in the second round because I can give you an additional example that says, maybe I didn't write this on my resume, but I bring this to the table, for example. And we've lost this art of conversation where 
right? Like even for retail, I teach people like, you know, I don't coach retail. That's not my demographic, but, you know, apply online because that's a default go away kind of response. But go there in person with your resume, speak to a manager, say, I'm really interested in working here. The manager says to you, okay, great, but we're not hiring right now. Okay, come back a week and a half later, speak to the same manager. I thought I told you we're not hiring. Yeah, but I wanted to show you how serious I am about working here. No, no, no. Okay, come back a week and a half later. If you come back two or three times to the same manager, I guarantee you, they'll find a position for you. They're going to stick, you're going to stick in their mind. Yeah. And they, yeah, they're going to be super happy. Because they're going to see that you're serious about wanting to work there as opposed to, I just applied. So Joseph, before we lose time here, um, because gosh, this has been so interesting. I want to make sure we give space to you telling about your program and how people can benefit from that, those that um, are in the job market. So what my program is, is it's I've done the homework for people. All they have to do is make a little effort. So I've like the program is eight modules broken down into, let's say, job boards. So most people know, indeed, I've provided 350 job boards in the U.S., and 300 in Canada. So I've already given you the list of where the job boards are. Then I've given you like there's a section for recruiters and employment agencies. I've given you the top 350 in the US and the top 300 in Canada. So you don't need to find them. They're there, right? How to interview correctly that guarantees a job. And when I say guarantees kind of thing, um, I actually test this regularly. I pick a profession I have zero qualifications for and I go interview as that profession. So very, very quickly, my brother was finishing his third year mechanical engineering, applied for an internship. By the time one of the companies responded to him, it was going to be more of a paper pusher job, and he registered for his fourth year class. So he decided to cancel the interview. I decided to go in as my brother instead of canceling the interview for him. I understand I studied economics and business. The only thing I know about mechanical engineering is what I wrote for him on his resume. My first interview, there was 100 students from four major universities uh, in Ontario, Canada. Within 45 minutes, human resource called me back, said, we love you. We need to come back for a second interview. I was like, all right, I will see how, how far I could take this. My second interview was with the manager of the department that I potentially worked with. Now, I spoke the truth about my brother's resume. My brother was on a team that designed a wheelchair for third world nations that uses a tank chain. So I can go on any terrain. Came second in Ontario for the best mechanical engineering project of the year. Won $500 from a major bank. Told the manager I studied thermodynamics and quantum physics. To this day, I have no idea what those are. You didn't even leave the parking lot. Manager called me back, said, I adore you. I need to come back for a third and final interview. Out of 100 candidates, I made it to the final three. I was the first one in at 8.30 in the morning. Manager walked over to me and goes, here's your offer letter. The job's yours. All you have to do is pass this mechanical engineering test. I kind of looked at him. I looked at the test. I looked at him. I, looked at him, I, looked at him, I can't do this test. Manager looked at me and goes, I know you're nervous. Let me help you. He solved the first two questions for me. I looked at him. I'm like, I am so sorry for wasting your time. I'm not the right candidate for this job. I guess I'm a lot more comfortable with the design than I am with the calculations. Thank you for the opportunity. Manager followed me to the car and begged me to take the job because I'd interviewed that much better than every other mechanical engineer that was there. So I teach you this and I foolproofed it where with the exception of a few weird Google interview questions where they like to see how you react spontaneously to a random question, my system, doesn't matter if you do it left to right, right to left, up, down, and all around, I've basically given you the skeleton of what you need to do, and then you add the meat and, and the spices based on your experience and your knowledge. But the system is guaranteed to answer 96% of interview questions there. So I teach that in 
Yeah. And if you're able to get 96, you can um, probably uh, slam dunk the last 4%. Well, the 4% is like questions like, for example, Google used to ask people if you were shrunk to the size of a dime and put in a blender, how would you survive? It's not a typical interview question. It's more of a problem-solving analytics question. So my system is not geared for that because that's not part of how I would answer that. But if it's just like, tell me about this job, give me an example of this, describe, my system's guaranteed to work. Uh, there, you know, you get salary negotiation. I teach you how to optimize your LinkedIn profile. I teach you how to network correctly because most people don't know what networking is and how to do it correctly. Um, you know, there's copies of my books. There's resource. I've written 11 books on this subject. Now, is this an, Joseph, is this an online program or do they, and or do you provide coaching yourself as well? I do both. Okay. Right. But it's an online program. I've made it as a stupid offer right now, where it's basically $700 and I guarantee results. The only way you don't get results is if you don't follow instructions. Do the program. <laughs> or you're lazy. Right. And again, I've had that on the flip side where people blame me for not getting a job. And I'm like, let me get this straight. Before you talked to me for seven months, you had one interview. You got no calls. I wrote your resume and your LinkedIn profile. And within two and a half weeks, you had interviews. Where's the problem, right? <laughs> exactly. Kind of thing. So. All right, listeners. Well, we're not lazy, are we? Because we want to lead to the top of our game. So for those of you that are interested, and I don't know who wouldn't be, we'll definitely have links in the show notes how to get in touch with Joseph, check out his um, program and system. And you know what? It'll be a great investment for you. It'll sharpen your skills, give you confidence as you get back out there and into the job market. And if I can just add, my program is good for new graduates. My program is good for veterans. My program is good for people that have a criminal record, but want a second chance in life. My program is good for people that are in that career transition because of everything that's going on in the world right now. My program is good for people that are more mature that have been working for the same company for 20 years. Joseph, we're just going to say it's good for everybody. Okay, we, I think we got it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, one last question before I let you go, Joseph. Um, as you know, I wrote a um, book on leadership execution. In our kind of pre-talk, um, I always ask my guests, which of the uh, leadership tactics uh, really resonated with you? And one of the thing ones that you mentioned was leading with entrepreneurship. So I wanted to to share with the audience why that was a tactic that really stuck out for you and how have you experienced that in your career? Because if you're not willing to innovate and you're not willing to take risks, you'll never know whether or not you can succeed. So part of leadership is not just doing your job and telling other people what needs to be done. It's inspiring them to want to achieve more, to desire to take, like, um, I will separate and say the difference between a a leader, and a manager. Uh, I'll actually quote one of my favorite books. It's called The Radical Leap by Steve Farber. And he broke down leadership into the, into the acronym LEAP. Love, energy, audacity, and proof. If you cultivate love, you will generate energy, you'll inspire audacity, and the proof will be in the pudding. And then he said the difference between what he calls uh, a leader and a radical leader is O-S exclamation M. Better known as oh shit moments. Oh, <laughs> I was sitting there in my mind. Okay, let me put that together real quick. <laughs> because those are the ones that really define how well you can communicate, how well you can get people to do more than they expect to do. And I've incorporated that throughout my career where when you do the little bit extra, people remember you. 
people will kind of trust you. People will believe, you know, it's uh, as a leader, you can't just sit in the ivory tower and not know what the front line's doing. You know, I love the show Undercover Boss, uh, but I'm always amused at the end of the episode when the leaders go, oh, my God, I should talk to the people that work here. I might get some insights on this company. You should have been doing that a long time ago. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, we look at an Excel spreadsheet, we go, we need to make this number better. But a lot of times leadership forget the human factor. So if I use quickly like corporate culture, it's a very big buzzword right now. So if our organization says we're doing a Halloween costume party, but none of the leaders dress up, it sends a message of we really don't care, just do whatever kind of thing. And that's why you won't. And that's why sadly 80 to 90% of people in North America hate their job. That's why there's not buy-in on the leadership. Now, I don't care if as a leader, you have meetings all day. Go to Dollar Tree, spend $2 on a mask, wear the mask, spend 10, 15 minutes shaking hands, acknowledging people that dressed up, then take your mask off, go do your meetings. But those 10, 15 minutes is what's going to create the difference between I trust you as a leader and I'm following you to I'm going to do the bare minimum to get my salary. Love that. I love that. Well, on that note, Joseph, um, I think we can drop the mic because that was such insight, great insight that you gave. But I want to thank you so much again for the gift of your time and all of the tremendous advice and nuggets that you have given to our audience. Uh, We definitely will have information on how to reach you in our show notes. And any last words before we close out this episode? First of all, Karen, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my wisdom. And I hope that I have the opportunity through your audience to make an even bigger impact on people in terms of their own success and path, because my goal is to make sure it doesn't take you six months to a year to find a job. You're getting hired efficiently because you understand the process. You understand where or why the gaps are. And, uh, you know, your podcast is giving me an opportunity to kind of share and educate people on where or why they might have, it might've worked 10 years ago, but it's not working today. We'll continue to share your gifts around because there's so many in need of those, Joseph. Thanks again, and you have a wonderful evening. You as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Joseph Setter, corporate culturist and resume whisperer. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of landing your dream job. If you're looking for a new career opportunity, either within your current employer or external to the company, a huge key to your success is tied to your ability to differentiate yourself from the competition. You're smart and talented. We all know this, but so is Bob, Cheryl, and Jerry, and Timothy over there all of whom have also applied for the same dream job. And as you go through the recruiting process, I encourage you to double down on leading with intellectual horsepower. Intellectual horsepower is all about using your areas of expertise to spot trends, connect the dots, and identify new areas of opportunities that others miss. So think about it. Your peers are gonna be busy touting their past accomplishments. And while you should too, I encourage you to augment the discussion by identifying what challenges are on the horizon for your role or within your industry and bring those to the table. 
be prepared to talk about three to five areas of focus that the hiring manager should think about addressing in the very near future. Executives are always looking for innovative thinkers and problem solvers who are agile enough to think beyond the walls of a job description. Demonstrate that and mark my words, you will enjoy the fruits of your labor. If you or your team are interested in learning more about turning your skills into differentiators, then I encourage you to check out our signature development program called Lead at the Top of Your Game. You can find that at on the web at uh, developingyourgame.com. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast and just share with just one friend because that will help us to expand our reach and to power others to lead at the top of their game. Thanks again for the gift of you listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.